So which um, franchise would you love to get hired into and then walk away from not giving an F after one movie? Fast and the Furious. <laughs> you play Paul Walker. Well, he's dead, so I know that's easy. what I mean. Like you were the one that replaced him, and after one movie, you're like, nah, I don't want to do. Yeah, this and anymore. everyone could just like, and it would be the same thing. It would come out, and everyone's like, he's no Paul Walker. Like yeah. everyone could just, you know, <laughs> and you'd just be like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to make. Some yeah, movie. I know. I'm alive. <laughs> I feel like uh, I would pick Star Trek since Paramount has no clue what they're doing with that franchise. So I would get in and just, I don't. I don't know what character I'd be. Maybe I'd be like McCoy for one movie and just totally F it up and then be like, ah, whatever. The fans of this franchise have made it an easy one, I think. Just Star Wars. Oh, yeah. You could I, be the new Rose. Like, <laughs> shh. Listeners, welcome to another episode of a free podcast. I'm your co-host Rob, joined as always by my uh, my spy friends Joe and Duff. <laughs> There's a series idea of my spy friends. Mm-hmm. We'll put just as much effort as George Lazenby did into it. <laughs> we are continuing our Bond on Bond season. Uh, this is our second one. We did uh, Goldfinger um, earlier, and now we have On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, which came out in 1969. And uh, we got, guys, we have a new Bond. We have George Lazenby. Um, old chin butt. Old, yeah, that's what they called him. They called him old chin butt. Um, so let's, before we jump into, because I know we have a lot, you know, we got to do our Bond rating on Lazenby. There's a lot to talk about in this movie. But, you know, with any Bond movie, we got to figure out people, make sure people know what happened, remind them. Or if they haven't seen it, fill them in. Are you ready? For the plot synopsis of Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I watched it. I have no idea what happened, so I'm okay. excited to find out. We start in Portugal. Um, I will say the first half of this movie is way too long, and all this that I'm about to explain doesn't need to happen for as long as it takes to happen. But Bond saves Tracy, who is a Contessa. He fights off some people. Then he goes to a hotel. He meets up with her again. He gambles. He spends a night with her. Then she goes off. Then he goes golfing. But then while golfing, he's kidnapped by some dudes. And they're the Draco's dudes. And Draco is in charge of a crime syndicate in Europe. Um, Draco is Tracy's father. Yes. And he agrees to tell Bond where the head of Spectre is. Uh, if if Bond woos his daughter, you know, I think the line is at one point uh, that he wants he needs a man to dominate her. <laughs> that classic um, thing that all parents do for their and kids. This, oh, and this yeah. dude sounds like Ricardo Montalbán, <laughs> and <laughs> and he offers Bond a like a million uh, pounds. Po- pounds. Yeah. He offers him a million pounds to marry his daughter. Mm-hmm. But eventually. Uh, Bonds, you know, says that if he if he tells him where the head of Spectre, Ernst Blofeld, 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 Blofeld is. Uh, so Bond agrees. Uh, eventually they do get together and then Bond learns the location of him. Now, off to Switzerland we go. Uh, Bond pretends he's in charge of the London College of Arms because Blofeld claims to be a count. <laughs> And wants it to be verified. Uh, 
so we go to the top of the Alps in Switzerland where uh, uh, Blofeld runs a research institute. Uh, we meet uh, for, a- later- for allergies. That's yes, my favorite we- part. Yes. I was going to say, we meet what we later find out to be the angels of death, but which are women with allergies. <laughs> One woman is allergic to her parents' chicken farm. Yep. Uh, my other favorite one is, is a very 60s thing. Uh, one woman was allergic to meat, and rather than not eat meat, she traveled to this compound to try to be cured. Because if yeah. you don't eat meat, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. So um, Bond, of course, spends some time with these women and uh, actually learns that they are planning to distribute some kind of bacterial warfare some sort of bacterial weapon that will make everyone infertile? They're going to destroy crops and life mm-hmm. unless uh, unless the UN gives Blofeld some amount of money or something. Otherwise, Blofeld is going to release all these uh, fembots to their various countries. To uh, and they're... Really- they're You'll, the first thing you notice is that they're very ethnically diverse. There's uh, someone who's Indian. Uh, there's someone who looks like they're from Latin America. There's yeah. American. And then it's, you find out it's because he's shipping them all over the world. So you got to get all the continents. Got to get them all. Got to collect them all. Um, and then. Um, oh, and the way that they're activated is through uh, hypnosis. Yes. Hypnosis. One thing that bothers me is they keep. Sometimes they say it's a viral thing, and sometimes they say it's a it's a bacterial thing, and I'm like, come on, which one is it? It does not matter. One or the it, other. It's a MacGuffin. Um, but um, they figure out that you know Bond's little disguise gets you know they learn about it, and then we essentially get a bunch of fun action sequences that involve skiing and <laughs> ice skating, and avalanches. Yeah. Uh, Bond gets away, but Tracy is captured, and then M won't send anyone. So Bond talks to Draco, who once again is Tracy's dad, and then they raid the place, and they save Tracy, and there's a thrilling bobsled race. (laughs) And then it looks like Bond wins, so he goes back to Portugal, where he actually gets married to Tracy. But. (laughs) But. Forgot about somebody. Yeah. Blofeld? I cannot say this. Blofeld. Blofeld. Blofeld is still alive, and he drives by with his number two, Irma Blunt. Frau, what's her name, from Austin Powers. And and they fire into the car, killing Tracy. The end. What a wild ending. Imagine, like, all the dudes who were mad that James Bond got married, and, like, they got up to leave during the wedding. Like, oh, the hell with this. (laughs) And and missed the 30 seconds that is uh, Bond's wife being killed and then the credits. Yeah, I'm sure this movie, I mean, this movie was a success. It wasn't like it didn't make money, but I'm sure like replacing, I mean, he not replacing, he didn't want to do it anymore, but like, you know, having Lazenby step in as Bond and then, you know, <laughs> this ending happens and you're like, oh boy, this is a different Bond. It, it took a turn. Yeah. Um, I will say overall, I enjoyed this movie. It kind of it kind of uh, grew on me as it went on. Like I said, I think the first like thirty or forty minutes is like this movie needs a lum cut. The first everything before the Alps is boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I I had read that this is one of the higher regarded Bond movies. Like mm-hmm. pro- probably it it seems like top five. I 
don't at me if I'm wrong, nerds. But there are people who love this movie, and, and yeah, it, it gets best. it's get mentioned. It's mentioned a lot, and I was watching this these beginning scenes. I'm like, what are you idiots talking about? This is <laughs> this is a snore. But then they get to the Alps, and the Alps footage is fantastic. Oh, it owns it. Yeah. It looks great and there's fun action sequences telly savalas is a great bad guy yeah kojak yeah <laughs> and um, great bond girl yeah and um, with um diana rig but it ju- it's just too bad that it doesn't really mesh it's like you have two different movies you have the movie about you know i mean that's the casino royale plot isn't it or at least that's i mean kind of the the essence of it is that it's the story of how Bond became jaded and he fell in love and then his wife was, depending on what source, I think in yeah. the, the original book she commits suicide because I think she's a double in, agent. And in this, but, this movie is the closest to the book, apparently. Yeah. Like, this follows it very closely. So on the one hand, movies. you have this kind of humanizing James Bond story and then on the other hand, you have the kind of more typical, like, oh, there's a bad guy with a lair, and there's a plot. And, yeah, it's it's two hours and 20 minutes, and it feels like it. It's it's the longest Bond until um, Casino Royale, as you mentioned. Is the, and the, and the I, if it's ever released, uh, I think No Time to Die is going to be longer, too. Um, well, they have years and years to keep working on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... um. There are definitely memorable things. You you definitely see, uh, you know, as someone who, you know, we've sort of said from the beginning, you know, we're not necessarily Bond people, but you see a lot of influence on Austin Powers in this movie. If anything, this season has made me appreciate at least the first Austin Powers a lot more. Me too, which I already loved, but now I'm like, yeah, oh, because now I pick up the references. Because, I mean, when you talk about spoofs, I don't think people bring up Austin Powers. People kind of remember it as just kind of, you know, like a goofy, like almost like gross out comedy, which is where it went after the first one. Yeah. But but the first one, that is a straight up spoof and it's really great. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, 100 percent. So we have George Lazenby. Now, before we get into his. I think it's Lazenby. Is it Lazenby? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I've always... I don't know. He did nothing after this that anyone cares about. Um, is he still alive? I he did... is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> That's how bored I was by him. I did not even bother to check. Uh, well, George... he's he's what twenty nine, and when he made this movie, and he looks like he's forty five. He was twenty nine. He's, he's the youngest Bond. He has st- Stephen Miller disease. <laughs> Every man in the nineteen like pre nineteen seventy looked like they were 40 starting when they were 20 and ending when they were 60. It's because they're so hairy. I think as, it's all the hair. As as someone who achieved full growth by like 12, this makes me happy to hear that this... I, I thought he was like 45. I seriously did. As what, a... 29? Are you kidding me? As a... Crazy. As a, 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 a beta man, I feel like the 70s would not have been good for me because there was a lot of masculinity a lot of hairy men and i just feel like i would show up at the beach and they would they would give me nuggies until i cried (laughs) well you'd be like a bond villain they'd be like what's that hairless man doing over there (laughs) yeah burt reynolds really ruined it for pale midwest boys (laughs) (laughs) yeah we were doing great until then um so yeah uh the, the the like famous story about uh lazenby 
is um, he he uh, you know they were doing a casting call to figure out who's going to be the new Bond, and he secured a suit that apparently uh, Sean Connery had ordered and not picked up. And then he got a Rolex and then a haircut like him. And then he talked his way into meeting the producer, Albert Broccoli. Cub- Cubby. Cubby. Uh, Italian uh, mafioso Cubby. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Saltzman and then the director, Peter Hunt. And bluffs his way there and then claims he had all these acting credits and then <laughs> uh, and then secures a screen test. And then he confesses that he had made it all up and he wasn't an actor. And they were like, well... You must be, because you fooled us all. It's good spycraft. Yeah. And before that, he was just, like, a model. Maybe he had been in commercials or something, but nothing, he, he nothing looks, big. He looks like every magazine model for cigarettes from, like, 15 <laughs> years ago. Yes. Like, I just, he, every time I see a vintage ad for, like, cigarettes or Jack Daniels, they look like George Lazenby. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I I don't I, I know it came out. I know everyone like lost their mind about it because they don't like him. I, it's fine. He's fine. There's not a whole lot you're doing with the Bond character in any ways. He's good looking enough. You know, that's ninety percent of it. Uh he's he's fine, I guess. He's, he's not, fine. He's not good at the one liners though. No, which pretty, we'll get to on the rating, I'm sure. He's he's pretty uncharismatic. Like yeah. he I kept thinking he he looked like two people to me. He kept reminding me of uh, uh, Bruce Campbell with the chin butt. Okay. And or like uh, less attractive Anthony Perkins. <laughs> oh, I see the Anthony Perkins yeah, thing. Yeah, me too. He's tall too and lanky. Yeah, it's. I mean, but- he's. The thing with Bond is that you you need a movie star. This dude is not a movie star. Like he doesn't have that. You know. Like all the uh, even like Dalton, I think all the other Bonds like they walk into or the actors they walk into a room and you would take notice. Mm-hmm. Even like Roger Moore, like Roger Moore kind of has that weird charm charisma thing, and Lazenby does not. Uh, they should have casted Anthony Perkins as Bond. <laughs> it maybe could have worked. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Dalton and Moore were like talked about and taking this role or, or, or passed it up or there was like, so they, you know, obviously they eventually I did, did read it. that Dalton was offered bonds, but he thought he was too young. He would have been 22. Wow. Is that how old he was? Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, and then he came back later, obviously in the eighties. So Joe, should we, I mean, should we jump right into the, into the, uh, in, into the, uh, the bond? Well, rating? can I make a few comments about the, movie overall absolutely yeah Please. first of all somebody like locked that editor in a room and made him watch easy rider 24 <laughs> hours a day for three months and then let him edit this movie because it, more than any other like square movie that was trying to be cool like it's it's use of like late 60s early 70s like arty editing techniques is so clumsy there are some wild cuts during fight scenes. It, yeah, I, 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 it, so like it, I, it breaks the 180 rule. There's jump cuts, and I'm not going to explain what those are, but it's like Joe said, like this is 
a bunch of really old people like, oh, kids like those European movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I so I agree, and especially there are especially early on there are times where it's it's like like are we missing frames? Did you lose a frame during this cut? Yeah. Like yeah. what happened? On the other hand, I actually and I, as the movie went on, I don't know if it got better or I got used to it. I kind of I kind of liked it. I kind of liked how it did that and you can't like I mean it's a little rough but man it sure does call into what action movies would end up continuing to be like. Yeah, it's gotten way worse. But I wonder yeah, but the I wonder how, idea though. Do you think it's because Lazenby was somehow even worse at fighting than your average movie star and they just didn't know what else to do? <sighs> yeah, I mean I think the easy right. I mean I think you know there is probably an influence of other stuff happening there too. Um and you you do watch like other fighting sequences even in um even in the last bond movie we talked about and like you know they're sort of like this stilted you know western type like people swinging which is fine this is like a jump forward and it's like it, it just went too far but like the general idea isn't wrong so this movie had the most uh over the shoulder flips i've ever seen Mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at prox- yeah, the ocean scene and the uh, fight at the beginning. Uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, that also has the worst cold open too. Out of it, it makes no sense. The cold open makes no sense. Why do, we don't need that? We don't need to have him save her from like she's trying to kill she's, herself. I guess. Like I don't understand. She's been in the water for approximately ten seconds and is standing straight up, and Bond runs in. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so much. I told Duff this that like I I like this movie. I do feel like you could trim, boy, twenty five minutes out of this movie. Oh, you could trim maybe 45. even more. If this and if this were like an hour forty minutes, I bet it would be amazing. I think I agree. I agree. But like, but there's a lot to like. Like anything, anything where there's snow is awesome. <laughs> or the layer. Speaking of snow, that was my other thing. Is there any ac- action-based activity that is less cinematic than skiing? <laughs> I, I, uh, I drew upon all of my film, all the films I've seen. I tried to think as, of as many as I could that involved skiing, and I couldn't think of any where the skiing looked good. I, it's, I a, think, it's a hard thing to look badass while doing. I think snow skiing looks better than water skiing in an action movie. And I don't think it's particularly cool. <laughs> uh, I, want, well, I, I, I can't hope, think of any water skiing scenes. I hope No Time to Die has a water skiing chase. Where, like, they're... <laughs> I, 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 so do you not like the skiing sequences, Joe? Or you just think in general it's hard to look cool? It, it's it's just looks silly. I, I, oh. I just don't think you can... I don't think you can... It doesn't help when he's wearing those gigantic goggles. <laughs> And his tights, right? yeah. his little tight pants. Yeah, I, I like his right. little tights. I like <laughs> his little tights. Uh, I guess there's just certain things you can work around where you can, you know, cut to close-ups of your actor and then cut away to stunt doubles actually doing the ski. Like, skiing, you can't pull that off where well, it looks right at all. It's Car chases you, that- you can, which for obvious reasons. But So car chases move fast. They're yep. dangerous. They're exciting. Mm-hmm. And you, it, nothing looks better in a movie. And skiing is fast, dangerous, in a cool landscape, and it just always looks terrible. But I'm sure I'm wrong. I, I welcome exceptions to this one. I like I like the skiing stuff in here, but I, the, the car chasing is interesting you mentioned because, you know, cars are 
not people, as fun fact. And uh, you can make a car chase. Like, cinema figured out how to make cool car chases, at least in American cinema, way faster than how to make cool fight sequences. And I think it's because you can speed up cars and you can, like, play around with stuff and it doesn't look unnatural. Whereas when you do it with people, it's very unnerving. It looks like Benny Hill. Which, you know... We had that already in the uh, in Goldfinger, but you have it even more here. And you have a lot of slow motion, and uh, you just sort of have like I, I kind of thought it was interesting because it's the first like one of the first action movies that I could think of that has these sort of techniques. It's just sort of clumsy, right? But we have sped up, we have fast cuts, we have zooms. Unfortunately, we have these drop frames that happen because of it. Um, it's just different. I think the. The movie I can think of that I think does skiing the, or at least winter stuff the best is Inception. Mm. And interestingly, I read that this is uh, Nolan's favorite Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And Steven Soderbergh's too. Oh yeah, I did see that. But I like uh, winter. I like winter action. Yeah, underrated. Yeah, it's um, cool. Like you know, a chase across ice, snowmobiles. Plus, just as a background, it's great as a landscape. But just, I just don't. I just I've, don't. Skiing is just a thing that I just don't think ever really works for me. But whatever. I I do want to point out it absolutely rules when the henchman gets tossed into the snow blower. Yes. And just, <laughs> yeah. Like that. That is an awesome shot. Uh yes, and I think and then we there's haven't... and then there's a uh, bright red like snow chum being thrown out of the snowblower. Should we jump into the Bond ratings? Yes, let's. Alright, so Joe, what do we got here? We got bloodshed. So let's go with uh, George's capacity for violence. Uh, One being low (laughs) uh, (laughs) Sigma Bond and five being Alpha Bond. But I had a a really tough time with this. He's he's not great. But then I was pretty hard on Sean Connery too. And I was just trying to think, like, who would take whom in a fight and who can make their their physical prowess and also their gunplay more cinematic? And actually, I'm just really – I'm really stuck between a two and a three, so I think I'm going to let one of you guys talk me into it. Let's, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to give him a three because he takes a ski and kills someone with it, <laughs> and he flips people over into a mountain, like like off had, of a mountain. He has two ski-related deaths <laughs> yes. that, that, yeah. he, that he causes. Yeah. So the, it's only lower because for so much of this movie, he doesn't do anything. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to help him in other areas, I think. But we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I but, guess I can only speak for myself. But uh, when, uh, you know, I mean, this the, when he's skiing... And he takes the skis and beat up, beats people up. And we see him, you know, as part of that raid with the guns. And he does, like, shoot that one guy. He shoots a few people at one point. And there's a point where, like, a guy just shows up and he shoots him. And he's like, I don't, that guy, I don't like guns or whatever. Guns <laughs> freak me out. I'm going to give him a three. Okay. Uh, I, I will give him a four, actually. Uh, because I mentioned uh, I like all the over-the-shoulder flips. Uh, I'm a big fan. You're big, just a wrestling fan deep down. Uh, yeah, I, I want, you know, I actually thought that jump cuts and weird Euro new wave influences aside, I thought he was actually a pretty good hand-to-hand combat guy. 
Uh, so I thought he was good in that way. I also, this isn't quite bloodshed, but uh, I give him props for athleticism because I think that the sequence where he's locked in the the, the tram, the gear tram thing, uh, that's some like uh, what the who's the safety last guy? It's not Keaton. Uh, oh, plus um, uh, Harold, Harold Lloyd. Lloyd. Yeah, Harold. That's some like silent movie theatrics there. Like that is. I think that's a genuinely great sequence. Well, he's yeah. avoiding his own bloodshed, so it counts. Yeah, so I, w- I will give a four. Man, I, I, now you're trying to make me think I should have a four. I'm going to stick with a three, though. I'm going to stick with a three. I'm going to go with a three, too. I think you guys have... I, I think maybe I was being a little too hard on it. I, th- I He gets bonus points for creativity. Yes. I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I think he's clearly, in his delivery of violence, was more creative than Sean Connery's in Goldfinger. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want to I want my heroes dispatching villains in clever ways. Like on a bobsled. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He he traps Blofeld in a tree at the end. That's well but yeah, that's true. All right, so what what's next, Joe? Allure. Okay. Allure. Sex appeal, charm. Hmm. I I had a very hard time with this because there's some things I really liked and there are some things where I thought he really... Uh, if you guys want to... Okay, here's my argument. Okay. I think his allure when he is being James Bond does not cut it. But his allure when he is... His Jim, charm Jim when he's, Bray, when he's in disguise, Sir his, confidence, his confidence is so much higher. It's the kilt. Yeah, it could be the kilt. Uh, the frilly shirts are a problem, <laughs> and he, he. Oh God! I was hoping someone mentioned the ruffled shirts. He he has he has ruffled and or frilly shirts at many different times in this movie, and that's a shame. It hurts. It hurts him. I'm going with. Uh, I'm I'm giving him right in the middle. I'm I'm sticking him at a three, because he shows his ceiling in here, and I think his ceiling is at a four. But he, I would say for a good bulk of the film, he's operating down as a two. So I'm just splitting the middle here. What do you got, Duff? I think I will... He's a soft three. A gentleman's, <laughs> a gentleman's three, if you will. So you're, you're right, holding know, up so, the three, but you're not holding it up with two hands confidently. Right. You're just sort of like flipping yeah. it up with one hand to, to, to show the audience. Yeah, and, and sorry, a, a three is actually the gentleman's two. It's, uh, <laughs> it, he's kind of what joe said like as as you know as master suave spy james bond i'm not really buying it but he i think he beds more women than sean connery in this movie um he does not but only because um because the fraulin uh, shows up and, and bothers it because at one point oh, oh, cock, yeah. cock blocked by Frau whatever yeah because he's got Contessa and then there's Ruby and then he he has Ruby scheduled for 8 p.m. someone else at 9 p.m. and someone else at 10 p.m. which I, I was like oh let's see what you got he, in New Bond he's, you know he's gonna need a lot of Gatorade for that schedule but <laughs> when he goes to see Ruby the whole plan you know that's when he, they find out who he is so I'm gonna give him a three as well. Because I appreciate that he was trying to do, trying to 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 be with three women in a three-hour time span separately. I think that's impressive. That's, I mean, that's pretty Bond. 
but it, he, you know, we never see if you never see the follow through. The older you get, the more crazy that sounds. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a forty-five-year-old, twenty-nine-year-old too. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think a three. I think yeah, three. I, I, so I, I think we only see him with with two women, Ruby and Contessa, in the movie. Well, and uh, Tracy. Well, Tracy is Contessa. Oh, okay. that's right. That's right. All right. So we've been rating that these actors as Bond, but this one might be that that past rating might be where the script really, really hurts him. And if he was in a different Bond story, maybe he gets a sophomore. But he's, um, he, he's a Bond that's in love, whereas yeah. Sean Connery's Bond is just, you know, he's he's a bull. He's out yeah. there, <laughs> a bull. He's out there looking to mate. Yeah, I mean, in, in Goldfinger, we we didn't really talk about it, but he essentially uh, his sexuality is so strong that apparently he just erases pussy galore's uh, lesbianism, just erases it. <laughs> he he dicks her into doing the right thing on Goldfinger, <laughs> and they also like you know imply that she doesn't like men. Um, yep. So that's problematic, of course. But you know, in the Bond world, I guess that's just what Bond can do. He's a master spy. What can we say? <laughs> What about his uh, sense of humor, which I think is so critical to a good Bond? Delivering those one-liners. I, I, I feel like this is going to be a little rough for our guy. He's he's terrible. He's, <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to go one on Oof. this one. Uh, yeah. He's, I might... he's, he, no comic presence, no timing. It's, it's you know, he has the lines, and some of them are pretty funny. Um you know, like the they'd be funny like, if another person delivered them. That's maybe. that's what I was going to say about you know uh, about the the villain branching off and the snow removal. He mentioned a guy having lots of guts, <laughs> and then uh, the uh, you know he gets asked about how his stiffness from last night is, and he makes a comment about that. It's like those are <laughs> those are like funny lines, but I'm going to give him a two because they're they're almost delivered almost like ADR, like they just added some like you know, punch up lines and they kind of don't work. So because he doesn't give enough kind of related. Uh, I feel like we kind of glossed over that at one point in the movie, he's playing uh, the character he played that Lazen or bond is pretending to be is uh, supposedly gay. And there's several references <laughs> where, yes. the, where they're like, I thought you didn't like women. He's like, well, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is yeah. wild. It is <laughs> that whole the whole uh, angels of death and the dinner with them and learning about their allergies <laughs> and telling and this like, super boring story about the College of Arms. Yes, <laughs> he walks. <laughs> I mean, I respect it because it's such a like out there thing. It's like it's like well, the front for this global domination scheme is that he's running an allergy clinic in the top <laughs> in the top of the alps he has uh, a dozen extremely horny women around oh who, yeah who the second they see a man are just captivated and then yeah. and then that man is supposedly gay and wearing a kilt but still tries to bed a few of them that is some, read, that is some pure late sixties uh, sex stuff there. Oh, for sure. I I gotta. I, it hurts. I want to give him a two. But the, the delivery of the one liners is just unacceptable. That's what I want. I want to. I want my action stars to kill people and crack a joke. 
Yeah. If Arnold can do it and make me laugh, I'm sorry. And you can't? You can't even it, rise up to the Arnold levels? It's like he has no idea. Like, it's like he doesn't know what jokes are. Like, he doesn't even know. <laughs> he he reads them so matter-of-factly that you're like, wait, was that a joke? This Am never I... happened to the other guy. You yeah. know what? You're right. I'm moving to a one. The lines are funny because the script gives it to him, but yeah. the actual bond... He actively keep make, it as two. He, keep it as a two because this bond, this version of the bond, does make jokes. He just doesn't say that. He just doesn't sell them. A one would not make jokes at all. I'd like he. Here's where we get close to a two for me. When he is Bray, and he's wearing that ridiculous outfit, there's a, a little bit of a twinkle, and enters into his eyes. Just mm-hmm. the, yeah. the smallest bit of a twinkle, and that's when I kind of lean forward on the couch a little bit. It's like, okay, now this movie's coming to life a little bit. He's showing a little bit of charm, a little twinkle. He knows this is funny. He He's get, not winking to the audience. I don't want him to do that, but he's showing a little twinkle. So I, I, yeah. I, I'm giving him a rough grade, but I'm just, he's still, if he's listening to the show, I want him to know, <laughs> he's, give him credit. And please email us how to say your name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're glad you're still alive as we just found out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about his nerve as a spy? Just is st- staying cool under pressure. I, th- I think he gets a decent score on this. You I th- know, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, he's at. L- I have to think about it. He's he's at least a three. Um. He did get scared by that guy in the polar bear outfit. Which is a beta move. <laughs> yeah, he loses his nerve a little bit at the ice skating in the village. Um, you know, but he plays it pretty cool when he's picked up by those guys to go visit Draco. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm gonna go four. I, I think overall, pretty solid job. That's where I was too. He he gets snuck up on many times, which might hurt him in the next rating, but. When he does get these sneak attacks occur, like in the hotel room at the <laughs> beginning, attacks. he's nonplussed. He's often in a state of undress, or he, he he just very calmly puts himself back together after each one. He's pretty steady, not perfect, but above average. Clearly, I think in the nerve department. He's yeah. A four. Now that you say this, you know, I'm just trying. I'm trying to think of this a bigger picture. They're like Spectre, who's like the biggest criminal organization in the world. Mm-hmm. We know where he's at. Perfect. What are we going to do? We're going to have you wear a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to pretend you're from the, the College of Arms. Uh, or some, you know, and uh, you're going to go talk to him and figure out if he's a count or not. A, and good, talk to him. <laughs> a good spy has multiple plans of attack. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, all right, here's the first thing we're going to try to do. We're going to try to get you to bore everybody to death. Yeah. <laughs> so he does if I was it. going in that, into into a, into a dangerous place, and plan A was boring everyone to death, <laughs> that's some nerve. And you got to wear a kilt. I'm going with four. All right. We're all I mean, on the same page there. <laughs> so plan A was bore everyone to death. Plan B, which he kind of got into, is uh, dick information out of everyone. Yes. <laughs> That's that shows discipline, I guess, because I would have just skipped straight to Plan B. Yeah, if I'm being honest here. <laughs> You're like, there's no way it's gonna work in this in this outfit. But it, it was him at his best, you know. 
So what do we what do we have for the last part of our bond rating? B A H N D. Bloodshed, allure, humor, nerve, and finally, what do we have for D? Deception. Just his general spycraft. Mm-hmm. So I this is where he actually shines. I think, and I maybe it's because after Goldfinger, and especially after the original Casino Royale, um. I was really desperate to see a spy who actually spied. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I'm, I'm going to go five. Wow. Because he really leans into the whole uh, Sir Hillary uh, genealogy expert thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and also it's a sequence that really wasn't needed and could have been cut out of the movie. But the whole sequence where he goes into that office just to find those papers it's very Mission Impossible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's stealth. I also thought he was great. And my favorite thing in spy stories, like either books or the movies, is when they have to go undercover, and they're they have to improvise, and and they're able to do it coolly, calmly, and know know what they're talking. How could he, long could he have had to study all the genealogy and, and history of the College of Arms stuff? Not uh, long. Probably the flight over. Yeah. And he's just able to pontificate for what the, <laughs> seems to be hours. Yeah. With yeah. No one catching on, although probably it helped that they all stopped listening to him after 10 minutes, <laughs> I would assume. But uh, that's my favorite kind of spy thing is where they can make themselves expert on an expert on something so well that they can withstand cross-examination from the villains. I love it. Especially, and the bar might be really low because even in Goldfinger, we had Sean Connery like literally just trolling a dude over the uh <laughs> over the me- what not megaphone over his uh earpiece and just being and, like my name is james bond yeah it's like <laughs> it's like dude your whole thing is you're supposed to be anonymous and inconspicuous and you're like this is james bond and i trolled you bitch <laughs> so for the record joe what did i give sean connery you gave him a it- three in this one so here's the thing i'm gonna give i'm gonna give lazenby a f- four only because there's no gadgets. He doesn't really have any cool gadgets. He has actual tactics in spying. Doesn't that but make I figured, him a better spy? Well, but this is where I put... This is, in my head, this is where I put gadgets in, is this deception area. I I, wouldn't, I, th- I would think it's just your your use of the tools that are made available. To you. Like, it, it'd be different if Bond typically makes his gadgets, but they're just given to him. Well, I mean, so is his God-given allure. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> fair. I guess, yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give him a four, though. He, so he, the, we we all went pretty high on this one. Yeah, the, the, he's a the, perfectly he's this, a, he's a very good spy. This is yep. this is where Lazenby shines. Yeah, I think overall he does okay. Actually, when you break it down at this rating. I think if he would have kept doing these movies, I bet he would have improved a lot. I I, I think he would have been okay. He needed to work. Uh, he needed to work on his comedy. Okay, so Rob and I both gave him a sixteen on the Bond scale, and Duff at uh, a little bit higher at a seventeen out of a possible twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's okay. That's you know. That's about yeah. Number two though, he's number two on the ratings, right? He oh no, his average. His average is higher than Connery. Connery was 15, Ooh. 18, 14. Uh, oh, boy. These would be a 16, 16, 17. <laughs> oh, boy. What have we done? No, well, this, this, this I is think it's su- fair. 
This is what yeah. science is about. It's I think about if we maybe would have watched a different Sean Connery Bond, maybe we maybe we, we only watched one, one movie. It's, he, his his capacity for violence in Spycraft was fairly panned. Mm. Okay, all right. We'll just let, we'll see how this goes as we as we go through I, it. I think, debate. This, so here's I think Connery was across the board. Uh, he averaged better. I think the extremes with Lazenby with Lazenby were uh, there were extremes in that really good at deception, terrible humor. So what we have here is this is a scientific method, right? We 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 yes. decided what we were gonna what we were going to to measure and analyze, and we're gonna go through it, and then we will re- look at it again and see what our results and, are. And, and here's where the flaw is: the the middle three are fueled a, to a great deal by performance. Mm-hmm. Bloodshed and deception are fueled almost largely by writing. That's a good and point. And Connery did very, very well in the ones that are related to his acting performance. And he was really failed by the writers by literally not being a spy. (laughs) 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 And and, uh, being largely, being so horrible at fighting that he was using his girlfriends as human shields. (laughs) Fair, fair, fair. That's on the writers. And if Sean Connery, you know, we we lost him recently, uh, sadly. But if he was still with us and had a problem with this, we would say take it up with your take it up with the writers. Yeah, yeah. I hope um, that when this series ends, Lazenby is the highest rated. Never. Oh my god! And everyone's it's, mad at us. It's, I I don't think it'll happen. You never know because there's a lot of room to. I mean, it's up to twenty five points, so someone's got nine. You've, Eight or nine points. Well, we got we got four more people, right? We but got... We're not like we're not like judges at the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. I mean, we're taking <laughs> you know we're making sure that we are giving good and fair critical scores to these actors yeah, I, and performances. I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely am, and I, 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 what I'm saying is like there's, it's not like he's a, we gave him a 23 out of 25, and someone's got to be perfect to beat. That's him. true. That's what That's I'm true. saying. So uh, you mentioned you think he would have gotten better. I agree. Um, a, this was his first role in a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's his first movie. <laughs> and 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 B, um, he was going to do seven more of these or six more. It was a seven a seven picture contract. Jesus, he agreed on. that's like a Marvel deal. Um, and two things happen. One is is his fault, and the other one is not his fault in my mind. The part that's probably his fault is. You know, the movie comes out or they're working on it and he, you know, he's sort of devil may care attitude. And uh, and he believed that with the movies like The Graduate, which we've talked about in a previous episode and like Easy Rider, which Joe mentioned, that this whole Bond thing is just it's lame and there's, it's not going to stay. That there's like this new, you know, kind of anti-hero in cinema and it's not James Bond. So I him and his don't agent don't blame him for thinking this. He he sorely misjudged the power of dads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's not the first or the last to underestimate dads. Uh, That's true. That's true. He, he forgot that there's all the other people. Uh, that <laughs> as someone who is reading a, and reading books exclusively about shipwrecks and submarines. <laughs> uh, I can I can now I've never been more powerful. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um so that's, you know, I get it. 
but ultimately, obviously, he was wrong on that. Hey, uh, yeah, I respect I respect the stance. It's educated. Yeah, well, I mean, it's educated, but, uh, I mean, it, it lost a lot of money. I, I yep. guess what I'm saying, like, if it was 1969 and we were, <laughs> we were in a commune talking like this instead of a podcast or whatever, yeah. wherever three dorks could have people drugged out enough to listen uh, to out us, at the, we probably uh, would have made the same argument. Yeah, if we were hanging out at the Spawn Ranch with Manson, we would have... Uh... I think the difference is we might have made the argument, but when it came down to the moment of, like, so you're, you don't want all the money and stuff, I'd be like, no, I'll still take it. I'll still do it. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm doing it. If, if yeah. I had had an established career already, I could see myself doing that. But he it's, did not. What no. is he doing? It's a pretty... I will say it's a pretty alpha move to... Uh, trick your way into starring in the biggest franchise of the time and then trashing that franchise. <laughs> yeah. So does, then, does, I mean, he, I, if he doesn't care, I mean, we can't criticize him if he, no, if I, he didn't care. It's, I, like, I don't, it's like you have to care about money and fame. It seems like the fame part's awful. Yeah, I don't think he cares. I don't think he... Um, I, I don't think he cares. I don't think he has regret over it. Um, I think I read an interview with him where I don't, he didn't seem to be, um, you know, bothered it, by it. It also seems, I mean, whenever there's a new Bond cast, it's always like a huge deal. And there's a ton of like politics because there's a ton of egos with the, mm-hmm. the, the bro- mob. Broccoli, <laughs> Broccoli's kid, I think, is the new like gatekeeper. Son of Cubby. Yeah. I think it's Cubby's son. And what, I think there's a, uh, maybe a sister or someone who's involved, but like, yeah, whoever's like the gatekeepers of Bond, they take that very seriously, and it's a lot of ego there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing, which is not his fault, is uh, the director of this movie, Peter R. Hunt. The R is in all the mentions I've seen of him. So Peter R. Hunt. Yeah, they do that. Um, he probably there's probably another Peter Hunt before him. Yeah, in movies, so he probably had to add that. Yeah, uh, um, Dir- Directors Guild. <laughs> Yeah. So Peter Hunt, I, I want to mention this because um, uh, listeners of all our stuff would know he did another movie that Duff's very familiar with. Yes, I saw this. He did Gulliver's Travels with Richard Harris. <laughs> ah. um, but he uh, had had been on like second units and stuff, I think, for some other Bond movies, and uh, uh, and he um, he didn't talk to La- Lazenby after the first day. Not to, like uh, Lazenby said, uh, Peter Hunt never spoke to me again after the first day of shooting. He wouldn't even talk to me after the movie. And then Hunt in 2002 said, I wanted that feeling of isolation. That is Bond. He's a loner. George wasn't experienced enough to interpret this feeling of utter emptiness. Here's the thing. Uh, if you decide to hire someone to act in your movie who's never been an actor in movies before, you should direct him and there's, talk to him. There's an entire... Uh, you could fill a book with uh people who become movie directors but hate actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, the exceptions are like I think Hitchcock is kind of the biggest example, and George Lucas to a certain degree. But usually it doesn't turn out well. You kind of, like the, those are the exceptions to the rule. Usually yeah. you you have to have good relationships with actors. So um you know I can see how like. 
if you're Lazenby, you're just like, God, this sucks. <laughs> like, no yeah. one's talking to me or tell me what to do. And then even after the movie, I talked to him. He doesn't say anything. Like, ugh. I, I, so that's not on him, I would say. That's fair. Um, so I also want to mention we, we, we brought up um, uh, the Countess, played by Diana Rigg, who's fantastic. It's a really good Bond girl. She is great in every way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't realize this until I was almost done with the movie, but if you're a Game of Thrones fan, it's who plays Olena Tyrell, which blew my mind. That was uh, her uh, her last big role, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she was, at the time, she was starring in uh, The Avengers, which, not the Marvel Avengers, but the British spy show The Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I think that was her big calling card. I remember my mom would watch that show. Uh, I, I think Joel will appreciate this. To me, Diana Rigg is uh, now and forever uh, Lady Holiday from The Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, She's that great. Is, oh, yeah. That was my, my first exposure and my go-to. <laughs> She's famous for many other things, but that I always think of her in that. And Miss Piggy does something similar to what Lazenby did in The Great Muppet <laughs> Caper. Just goes in and completely BSs her way into a job. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we also mentioned that uh, there's no gadgets outside of the safe-breaking machine. A copy Xbox. machine. That thing, <laughs> yeah, cop- the safe-breaking thing was cool. You just, like, hook it up there and just chill. Yeah. The yeah, s- looking at a Playboy. That's The, yeah. the safe-breaking machine reminds me of, uh, remember Keygen's? If you downloaded, uh, yes, it, like if I you, do remember key gen. Like if you downloaded uh, Photoshop, pho- Photoshop or something. Oh and yeah, you, okay. and then you needed a key. Then you go on Kazaa or LimeWire or whatever. And it's like, oh, I need a key gen, mm-hmm. and it would just somehow generate a key, and you can get in. That's well, it. let's be fair. They were just it, you. Were, it was a wild, wild west of .exe files you would download, and you'd be like, I oh. hope this works. And then half time, you're like, the key didn't work. Four out of five times, <laughs> it was a virus that just wiped <laughs> your computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah. I, I wonder how much the demise of file, like file sharing for the layperson has extended the life of computers. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's a good point. Like, I remember when I was in high school, I would download, like, you know, an illegal version of like Photoshop five and I would download it and I would install it and I would do these, I would, I would unplug my computer from the modem while it was installing. I was like, well, that way they won't catch me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like turning your music up if your house is bugged. Yeah. (laughs) God, it was just, it was just a hippie commune of computer viruses and disease at that Mm -hmm. point in like the early two thousands, just, everyone's computer died because they were like, oh, I was trying to download a free version of Microsoft Word because I didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also, but you know there's no gadgets really outside of that. I realized watching this how much I love awesome bad guy layers, and this is one yeah. of my all-time favorite the, So cool. The Slayer is awesome. There's icicles hanging down. Oh, and the, so cool. Chopping the Alps, man, and you have like these cool little rooms, and and like I would want to, I don't know, I I would want to hang out at this place. So big time. I think I talked about this in Goldfinger as well, and it doesn't really matter, and I don't care. But 
the cost to build a facility like this at the top of a mountain in the Alps, like, why does he need more money? <laughs> he, he, That's the case with lots of supervillains, though. They're already rich, usually. Is it just like the, you know, the capitalism disease where billionaires always want more? Because it's a it's a reason that Paul like that rich people become politicians. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the answer to it's, it. But it's like Blofeld already has the resources to put up this allergy research front at the top of a mountain. He has helicopters. He has, you know, he has a staff. <laughs> he has a bunch mm-hmm. of henchmen. He has guns. He's got one of his henchmen. I, we got to talk about this. One of the henchmen uh, is like number two henchmen, I guess, because I think uh, obviously um, Irma Blunt, uh, the uh, Irma Bunt, the um, the Frawling would be number one. But the number two guy, you know, because he's got the Olympic, the Olympic rings on his outfit. That's right. I saw that. <laughs> And I was like, that's... And I was like, do they all have Olympic rings? Nope, just that guy. <laughs> just the one. He earned his rings. So was he an Olympian? I don't know. Now I want backstory. Yeah, it's, that's <laughs> you can't wear that if you weren't in the Olympics. <laughs> this movie's a little bit different in that we don't quite have a title song that's named after the movie. But there is a song. Yeah, that really threw me off during the credit sequence. The credit sequence was cool looking, though. I really liked it. Oh, one note about the credit sequence is uh, even by the standards of James Bond movies, there's some real pointy nips in this credit sequence. <laughs> it's it's a, among the horniest ones ever it's, made and booziest. Yeah. Like I, I did, was it Peter Arhunt? Like, yep. Did did he just like put ice over all those girls and be like, all right, shoot, run the camera now because. There, is, are, there are some right angles converging there. It, it is very angular. It, you, listeners, you will notice, even if you're not really into Bond or paying attention, you'll be like, those are some pointy damn nipples. I thought it was due to the shape of their brassiers. I didn't think hmm. it was an anatomical hmm. adjustment. But I mean, who is to say in 1969 what it was like? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure it's on YouTube, probably. Um. The uh, but we have uh, Louis Armstrong singing uh, the most contemporary artist of 1969. Yeah, when I read after the credits went through and there's no song, I was like, Oh my god, there's no song! And then I looked it up, I was like, Louis Armstrong is does it. Yes, and it I, was the last thing he recorded. Oh, oh wow. wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. He died a couple years after. I honestly, I like, when I, when I read it, I was like, He was still alive, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the last thing that he ever recorded. So, I don't have a lot in this song. This song's a dud. It, <laughs> you barely hear it. Like it's weird. It's kind of low in the mix, it's, and and I don't feel like it, it just sort of ends. It seems like it's cut off before it's over, but I guess maybe not. I don't know. And it's very weird to have a James Bond sequence where he's romancing someone. It's this. It feels very odd. It's like a. It's like a dating montage. Where they're yes. just like alternating between like riding horses and shopping, yeah, and and then the song is playing over it. It's it's a pretty slow. It probably shouldn't be in the movie. It, it's a dud of a song, in my opinion. It, I hadn't heard of it, and I can see why. But uh, there's definitely a lot I'll remember. I'm glad we I'm glad we didn't skip over George Lazenby's uh, one movie uh, Bond film. I mean, all all the stuff, the action sequences are filmed as well as anything I've seen from that era. 
Yeah, because because if we look at like you know once again, we've talked about like action movies and we talked about some of the editing and fighting sequences in here. Um, you know, we still we're still not quite you know nineteen the late sixties early seventies. You know, there's you know the Italian job is one, but like you know we're still talking genre films. Uh, one that I think that came out the same year that definitely has an a, an impact on how action films are shot would be the Wild Bunch. Yeah, sixty nine. Um, so. Oh, and of course, Joe, I don't know why I didn't mention Hercules in New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, we still haven't quite, like, we're going to talk about... Um, it's still rare to have an action movie without a horse. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, we're going to move into Roger Moore, and we're going to jump way ahead. We're going to go uh, over to uh, 1977, so we're going to go, you know, eight years later. And now in the 70s, now you're seeing a lot more action movies, which we'll talk about. But we're going to jump all the way to Roger Moore's The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, for our next uh, our next uh, Bond on Bond picture podcast here. Um, do you guys have anything you want to add about George Lazenby or on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Uh, one piece of fun trivia is uh, the woman who plays Ruby. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in Casino Royale. She is the 17-year-old in the hot tub. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Uh, the other fun thing is that I think Joanna Lumley is one of the uh, the the twelve women. Are you related? Not that I know of. I'll have to check the old family uh, crest <laughs> <laughs> and see if it's the same. So, um, yeah, I mean, two bonds down, guys. Three, if you're willing to pay. Three, if you're willing to pay. We do have a Patreon on. And if the- you watch that movie, you have paid plenty. You, yes, you pay a dear price. Yes, we talked about 1967's Casino Royale with Jonathan from Mid Impossible. Very fun episode. Not a good movie. Uh, so skip the movie, not the podcast. Um, that's on our Patreon. And uh, like I said, next week we're going to be talking about the Spy Who Loved Me with Roger Moore. So I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll be back next week talking more Bond on Bond with the Spy Who Loved Me and Roger Moore. <laughs>